Bruce, where's the punch, man? I'm right here, I'm right here, I'm right here. There you go. I'm here and ready. Right. Ready to discuss. This you know. been final yesterday. Oh my god. I mean, good game. Good game on it. It was a good game. Good game, good game for one team. Yeah, I mean, yes. But you know, it, it was good. Like as a as a neutral spectator, I enjoyed the match. I thought it was good. Columbus with a very good first half. Seattle trying to come back in the second, not quite making it, you know, doing enough. But I thought it was a fun game to watch. I think it's what sports should be. Agreed. I mean, I, I, yeah, I didn't follow a lot of the MLS season, so I was very shocked. I, I'm hoping Seattle just had a really, really bad game. Right? They did. I cannot, I cannot they... see a team play like that, work their way into the final. They looked so <laughs> bad. Like, it yeah. looked terrible. At times in the games, like, it just looked like they didn't want to do anything. Yeah, they're they're normally a good team. But um, for everyone out there who doesn't know, first of all, welcome to the Sports Bar. Uh, I'm going to be your host, Andrew Crisp. I'm here joined with the fantastic Stefano Barbano. What's up, guys? And the amazing Pocho Cuella. Hey, everyone. All right, so jumping into it straight ahead, just the the MLS finale or final. Uh, finale sounds more grand. <laughs> the, the MLS finale was Saturday, and we're recording this Sunday, releasing on Tuesday. So we're gonna give you guys a recap on like on the game and what happened. The final was between Columbus Crew and Seattle Sounders. Is it? Yeah, yeah Sounders. Sounders. Yeah. And so pretty astonishing how, how it went. But let's get into our predictions first. I know Pocho had, what, 2-1? I had a 3-1 victory for Seattle. 3-1 victory yeah. for Seattle. Stefano yeah. had the 2-1 victory for Seattle, right? Yeah, it wasn't even close. It wasn't even yeah. close. And now it was 1-0 for Columbus. So at least I got half of the score right, and I got the <laughs> yeah. champion. So I'm going to call yeah. that a victory. Both of y'all owe me a beer. <laughs> I'm calling agree it. that. I mean, I, mean, I don't know, Pocho. He didn't guess the score. Like, you know, he he just yeah. Left, I don't know. It's was, a, little, a little iffy. Listen, yeah. The what was the outcome? Columbus won, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah but you know, yeah, 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 it was exactly. A little iffy. All right, you know what? You can get me a beer between both of you. <laughs> I mean, if we're going by amount of goals scored, like I won. Like I predicted three goals. I just didn't predict the right team. for for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, no, Seattle, yeah, that was a terrible, terrible game for Seattle because it, it was kind of expected because in the in the semifinal or conference final, whatever you want to call it, uh, Seattle was losing two to one, and then they won it three to two with two last minutes, two last minute goals. Yeah, it was very impressive that comeback, and they try to do the same thing again, right? They did the yeah. exact same tactical changes in the final when they were two goals down. And this time around, they just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. Like, I remember the first half was just about was keeping the ball. Well, true. If, if you look at the goals, though, like in the semifinal, the goals all came from set pieces. And they kept having set pieces, having headers. And all of their headers would just go off target. Like, Seattle tried. They just didn't have enough to do it. And Columbus had, like, the knowledge of how, what Seattle was going to try since they studied the game from last week. Right, it was an advantage they had that Minnesota didn't. So they knew how to defend against Seattle for what they were going to try and do. Um, the truth is, Columbus just played a very complete game. Dominated the first half. Second half gave Seattle the ball, but gave them no space to do anything with it. 
Yeah, right? that, that's the biggest thing. So like Seattle started terribly the first half. They were making mistakes left and right. They they lost the ball in their own half. They let two goals in, uh, which could have been debatable if they were playing well. But after after the second half, though, Seattle started playing way better. But Columbus didn't drop their level. They still played. They still kept their level up. I'd say yes and no. Columbus still played well, but they changed their strategy completely, right? Like second half, Seattle Columbus was not an attacking side. They were a cautious stay deep, make sure there's reduced spaces kind of side who might attempt to counterattack. Like, I think from the 45th minute to the 75th minute, uh, Celarayan, what I was the biggest, the star of the match, obviously yeah. two goals and an assist. Yeah, hard 100%. not to say it's him, right? But in those 30 minutes, I don't think he did anything because the team was just focused on well, defending. They didn't really have to do anything. anything. No, of Seattle, course, it, no. Wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't like Seattle was proposing some type of threat either way, right? Like, they, right, they, no, weren't, I, they weren't actually doing anything when they had right. the ball. What I'm saying, though, is that, because, yeah, of course, I mean, Columbus, I mean, they, they were smart about it, but they changed how they played completely in, in the second half, right? Because in the first half, they were this, you know, positive attacking side that was trying to create a lot of opportunities with their fullback swing up all the time. Second half, you didn't see that. You saw them more of maybe one of our players can run by on their own kind of thing, which is smart. It's, it's a very smart tactical choice by the, by the head coach um, where you give Seattle the ball. So you know they're going to try and get it anyways. And instead of playing at them and giving them spaces, you know, by trying to attack and the third goal, maybe conceding one back, they said, let's just keep our two-goal lead. And at the very end of the match, when Seattle really pushed on crazy, trying to get like, that goal to keep them in the game, they were able to have, find those spaces and get that third goal, which I thought was very impressive. And um, I think the coach for Columbus deserves a lot of credit for how he managed the game, because once he got in the lead, most people would say, keep doing what you're doing. But in this game, it was actually smart to change and go for a more conservative approach that allowed that made Seattle do nothing, right? And they couldn't create any good chances. So, so you're saying, Pocho, is that they went from a, from a pressure and taking the ball in, the, in Seattle's first half um, throughout the 45 minute to laying off, waiting Seattle to attack, and then going for a counterattack. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, they didn't really go for counters that much either. Um, but yes. Essentially, they changed their tactical plan almost entirely from uh, one where they were focused on trying to get the ball and pushing forward and getting pressure, making sure that they could attack Seattle a lot to saying, we're going to just hold back, let them put their crosses in, take them out, and then if we have a chance, we'll counterattack. But clearly the focus changed, and it was smartly done. It was well done and well executed by the players. I don't know if I'd agree with that completely. I mean, I think uh, the, the game that... Seattle tried to propose to Columbus. It was something Columbus was very prepared for. I think the, the idea it was that for the whole first half, Seattle's midfield could not either get on the ball or pass it through to the attacking players. I think they didn't really propose any type of threat or any type of idea that, that Columbus you know, didn't have the answer to. It seemed like Seattle were very content with just playing the way they've been used to playing. Mm-hmm. And, and and Columbus did really, really good at just basically not letting them advance the ball into the final third. Basically just, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw it many times where they were just passing in the back four. Seattle was yeah. passing in the back four. They couldn't really do anything. They couldn't really do anything. So like, and and here and here's the other thing. Like Columbus, they, they have a really, really big striker. So this guy started, he isn't, he isn't a guy that's going to dribble past you, right? He's not, he's not like that type of, 
uh, striker, like, like for example, Ruiz Diaz might be. Like, Zardes mm-hmm. will be able to hold up play. So I think what, what they went for in the second half uh, was, was, was the most logical outcome, right? They, you know, they, they just sit back, and if they have an opening for a counterattack, they do that, right? Because they, they didn't really need the ball to score goals. I think they were more concerned with just giving up stupid chances, you know, by going forward, right? I think they didn't want to give Seattle the opportunity to score. And, you know, by just pretty much letting them play in the back four, not letting them advance. And then again, Seattle, ter- I think it was a terrible, terrible job by Seattle in terms of trying to adapt to what Columbus was doing. I think I think mm-hmm. they didn't make the right substitutions early enough. I thought their midfield... Um, most specifically, like Jones and, and Rodan, I, I don't think they were doing yeah they were doing anything. much impact yeah. at all. And when they did have the ball, it was just to pass it back to the defense, right? A lot of credit to Columbus. Yeah, they they had you know they prepared. They could use you know Minnesota as an example of of what happened and what Seattle can do. But I think terrible job by Seattle and their coaching staff just being content, you know, playing the way they play. You know that 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 idea that you unexcusably have to play your playing style against everyone, I think, is fundamentally flawed, right? I think we've seen in bigger leagues, bigger teams start adapting to the idea that if you grab a lead and you're suddenly an attacking team, it's not beneficial for you as a team to keep going at it, right? So I think Columbus right. played an outstanding game. Again, number ten, Lucas. I think he did a fantastic job every time he was yeah. on the ball. He was, you know, first of all, like Seattle gave him a lot of space, which I think again, way too much space. Ooh, he a ton of space. He, nah, keep going. Keep going. No, no, no. I, yeah, basically, like tons of space. And, and the guy clearly knows what to do with the ball. Like, you know, he either found other players that were threatening or he himself became the player that was threatening goal. So, like, credit to, credit to Seattle for getting to the finals, but, you know, they didn't play like a team that, you know, should be in this final, right? Because Columbus just looked another class above it's so surprising because seattle were the favorites to win this this final Mm -hmm. they were they they pretty much dominated all the playoffs i didn't i didn't watch the regular season but i know seattle is a good team because this was their third time in a row i think in the final no third time in four years third time in four years and they were going for the second in a row then and, yeah. and, I mean, they're a great team. They have Rui Diaz, who is an excellent striker, who, who in the past games played fantastically. They have uh, Lodeiro, who I like a lot as a midfielder. Lodeiro is is a really classic midfielder where he, he just sticks to the basics. He was a flashy buy back in the day. Came I'm straight sorry? from Boca Juniors. He was a flashy buy when, when they bought him, when yeah. Seattle bought him. Yeah. It was a really big deal because he was coming off a consistent playing time in Boca Juniors. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah. really, it was a real, real shock to a lot of people that he would go to uh, a team like Seattle, and and he's like and he's he stayed there for a long time too. Yeah, he stayed, stayed there, there for a long time. He's been there since 2016, I want to say. Yeah, and so it is surprising. I like him as a player. I think he's fantastic, and I he was just not doing anything in this game though. If we were, would have done a pre-recording before the game, I would have said that the the team that was going to win was the team that was going to have the control. Because if you look at their past games with other teams, they're the ones that are in control. Seattle was in control with the other games against Dallas and against, uh, was it Minnesota that they played that? Or was mm-hmm. that Columbus who played Yeah, Minnesota. 
They, yeah. They play Minnesota. Exactly. And then Columbus looked entirely in control playing against the teams that they played in the playoffs. And so, I mean, it was just going to come down to control. And it's kind of redundant to say, I guess. But <laughs> but it, it is what it is. Columbus had Columbus control <laughs> of this entire game. And, I mean, it just shows to, comes to show they won 3-0. Yeah, and convincingly so. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, the key, I think, was was also just a tactical part to the game. Where, yeah, like I said, Seattle did not adapt. Um, but I also think Columbus did. And Columbus did something really smart. And that was that when they had their fullbacks attack a lot of times, they would actually prepare to defend by having either the winger on the side or one of the two holding midfielders go back to those positions. So that if Seattle got the ball, it was still so hard for them to get out, right? And with that pressure, and when you have enough players back, it gets impossible for them to do it. I think the first half, the use of those wingers to open up the field, then passing it towards the middle or crossing it towards the middle as it happened with the first goal, um, it really was like the way for them to go forward. Mm-hmm. I think a fool had an incredible first half, one of the best first half of him in a fullback. He was yep. going forward, making a difference. I mean, he had such a good first half that you almost didn't notice there was a winger on that side, right? Like uh, Luis Diaz, you didn't see him do much that first half because almost all the play was with the fullback. I think they did that incredibly well. Um, and I think Sardis was key in moving a lot of the defenders around. Like for, I think for both goals, you see that the center backs are following Sardis almost the entire time. And because they do that, either Salarayan or Etienne end up with very open opportunities to score it, right? And so I think a lot of times the striker is judged on goals. But for me, Sardis had an incredible match. Couldn't put, put the one chance he had into the back of the net, but he allowed the other two, the other players to have really good chances to score overall. That, that's how all three, three all three goals were scored, though. The, the, it was Etienne and Salarayan who just had vast amount of space. In, in the well, the first one yeah, was the center. Also, remember, size. Seattle didn't have their starting right back either, they were playing a midfield, mm-hmm. they were right playing Rodan, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it, you know, I think that played a factor too. But you know, I'm interested to see, uh, tactically and roster wise, how Seattle adapts to this, right? Because they've, they've had the same key players like Jordan Morris, Lodeiro, Ruiz Diaz, they've had them for a couple seasons now, right? And they're and they're mm-hmm. not getting younger. They're, yeah. they're more on the older side. They're more, you know. So it's interesting to see uh, what they do, right? Because I think they were just, they were, they were found out. You know, that's just, yeah. that, that was just, that's the big thing. They were, they were found out and they didn't have an answer for that. And Columbus, were, Columbus found a lot of space, like especially in the half spaces. You know, as Pocho mentioned, like, you know, Luis Diaz was just able to creep in and, and allow their holding midfielders to find that pass. Where, where they could where they could combine a little quicker, which is what you know for some reason Loredo could not could not do or or, or wasn't able to to achieve with Seattle, because mm-hmm. when it, when it comes to those types of passes, right? What, what what people need to understand is timing is key for those passes. So if you're early when that when that space is open, uh, that's no good. It's, it's it's you're basically running into a space too early. The a pass can't get to you that fast. And you're just attracting the defender to that space. So I think in Seattle did that many, many times, especially they're holding midfielders, especially when they were trying to get the ball from the defense. They were just there, like center back would pass to the other center back, and then holding would holding midfielder would just go into like the space he would have to be two seconds later, right? Right. And so, mm-hmm. so like you know, the, the center back gets the ball, 
midfielder is already there. If he's already there, it means someone's already covering him. He couldn't really do anything. So, you know, lots of issues uh, with Seattle and then lots of props for, for Columbus. You know, again, a lot of players, I think a lot of players had their best match uh, during the playoffs, arguably during the finals, which is what you want to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we arguably, you know, Seattle had one of their worst games for a couple players in the playoffs, which is what you don't want to happen. In the one, yeah, yeah. completely, yeah. completely. I mean, Steph, you did, sorry, Butcher, I just want to go, go ahead. over one thing that Steph mentioned while we were watching the game was that Seattle looked overextended. I just want you to explain that a little bit because I was a little confused. Yeah, you could tell that the players are far away from each other, overreaching, overextending, I guess. But could you, yes. could so you like, explain? When, 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 a team, when a team itself gets organized in the field, in possession, what you want to happen is you want to have lanes of passes, right? You want to have different spaces where you can pass the ball and where you receive the ball. Again, it goes back to the timing part as well. The player needs to be in the right spot at the right time to be able to receive that pass. As I said, Seattle did not do that. The part where it comes where they were overextended, it was, you know, their, their front three was just staying up there and it was, and their wingers were super, super wide, right? And then and you had Lodeiro who would just, basically he was playing like a second striker, right? Mm -hmm. He was always next to Ruidias and a player of that caliber you would expect would want the ball more actively, right? I don't think we saw Lodeiro involved almost at all in the first half. I think he tried to do more in the second half. He tried half, to do so. more, but there wasn't really going anything. So, so when far. so when you have a team that's trying to play wide, right, that's trying to stretch a team out, but it doesn't do it appropriately, that leaves you open to, you know, a lot of pointless possession, which is what Seattle did, and a lot of sloppy, sloppy passes. I don't know how many times I saw one of the defenders from Seattle just pass the ball into space to a midfielder, and then, you know, Columbus <laughs> got, got stolen the ball, away. Right? Like, it's, yeah. It, so... So like they were positioned terribly. They were so they were trying to play so wide to give each other space that it, it just played against them in, in some way, right? They, they, mm -hmm. I, I don't think they, they really did know what you know how to counteract what Columbus was trying to do. And and you know since your players are that wide, they're very isolated. When they're very isolated, yeah. it doesn't allow for that quick one-two or that quick get possession from here here and then bounce it out to the other side because you know the player next to you is you know. 15, right 10 away. away. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so, you know, it, they just made it things really, really hard for them. Like, to be honest, I don't think they would have, they would have found a hard time to score. Only thing they would have been able to do was a, a set piece. Right. Cause they, you know, yeah. which seems to be holding possession. Yeah, exactly. In yeah. terms of holding possession uh, and scoring, like, you know, in build up play, you know, they, I don't think they were, I don't think they even held possession in, in Columbus finals, final third for very long. Yeah, one thing I did want to say though is that I don't think Seattle needs drastic changes. Like, let's be honest here. They Ooh, lost their players the are old. Their players are old. Yeah, I mean, true, true, true. And they'll have some changes for sure, but most of their team hasn't been there for a long time, too. Like, obviously, Morris has, but Morris is young, right? Well, at least he's not. Morris old is injury yet. prone. Morris true, got true. hurt a lot but, when he was when well, he was younger. But my point is though, Seattle. It's not like it's a team where you you're thinking like the LA Galaxy, right? You're thinking. They need a lot of changes because they're a mess. Seattle just made like two consecutive finals for the first time in Right, Manchester I'm not history. saying they're bad players. Right. I'm saying like, you know, they, they no, of course. you know, you got Ray Diaz and you got Lodeiro and they're they're over 30. Right? right you got right. Jordan Morris who's who's, you know, back, you know, given six years ago, like he was touted to be a really, really good winger. But then, you know, sadly mm -hmm. he had a bunch of injuries in the way. And then, you know, you don't really have another player in that team 
where you would say like, you know, this guy is, he's next up, right? Right, right. And if and, you, and so I, who is it? No, no, no. And I get that. I'm not saying that they need to make no change whatsoever. What I'm saying though is this idea that they need to renovate things on those lines. That's not a necessity for them yet because the team is doing well, right? Like you need those kind of changes when the team is struggling. If the whole team was 30 and above, then you'd say, yeah, they need a huge changes, but they don't. They can just make whatever signings they need to do here and there over the off season. Maybe, you know, any if they have a player leave, things along those lines, they could probably start investing in a striker to replace with Diaz, but they don't have to get desperate about it, right? They lost in the final. They had a very good regular season. Uh, finished tied first really except with more games so they ended up second in, the, in their conference I think that i think that puts them in a position to have a repeat of what happened to them yesterday right when you're content and you don't look actively look to you know bring in new blood get that new infusion you know change things up right because changing things up brings a new attitude to the players mm-hmm. so like I, I think they're you know they were they were they've been you know almost a dynasty for like three or four years now, right? They've been mm. either in the finals winning it or in the finals, right? And that's good. That's really good for a team. But when when you get crushed 3-0 and you don't even look like a team that's supposed to look, be in the final, I think that you have to do some kind of, you know, inward looking. You have to go and see like, maybe we need to start rebuilding a little bit the attack. Maybe we need to start thinking about, you know, a playing style, you know, being more dynamic. So, I mean... I mean, I agree with the playing style. I just think it's a kind of situation. You can't be alarmist about losing one game when that game, when you just made it all the way to the final for a second consecutive year, right? They like, yes, changes could happen. Yeah, no, I agree. Bad. Trust me. I agree they look bad, but not bad enough to say, wow, this team needs drastic changes. No, they probably need a little change here and there. Like they lost this game today, but they could have won this game. But it isn't know. just a game; mm-hmm. it was the the, the point of the. Oh, whole of course, season. of course. But you shouldn't base you know all the decisions on just the one game, right? Even if it's the final, when you did well all season, and when you made it to the final again, clearly Seattle's team that does well in playoffs, right? They can get to the final. It's not it's not an issue they're having right now with this squad. I wouldn't want to mess it up by changing too much. So then they you know lose in the first round, or they don't even make their the best players aren't going to get better. So we and right. and that by you know just by you know the transitive property means they're probably not going to get better as a team, right? You, you know, but they don't necessarily have, have to get better, later. right? If they remain in the same level and then just have a better tactical plan for at a final, right? Or they don't play a team like Columbus that plays against them perfectly, they could win the final, right? It's not unreasonable to think this is a team that could have been MLS champions if they've had a better game last night, like right? That's the kind of thing where you have to where I see it as. It's not that desperate. They had a terrible game last night. They lost because of it. But it's not because the team had to have a terrible game. They could have had a good game. The coach could have had different tactical ideas. It could have not started with the same team that fell behind against Minnesota, could have made the changes he needed to make. Didn't do that. But the team itself is not the problem. I'm sure they'll change, right? It's soccer, every time it happens. But I don't think it's that desperate. I think, no, I think, Pocho, you, you might be taking this too too optimistic in the team. Yeah, Seattle have been a great team in the last few years, for sure. They've made the final, they've won a couple of finals, but it looks like it's the beginning of the end to me. So I, I agree with Steph. They, they aren't going to have to take a look inward and see, all right, where where did we have the most problems? What can we do to solve these problems? And and who who's getting older? Because Seattle isn't a young team. They are an old team. And right. I, I think 
kind of, I agree with Steph in a way, like they are going to have to look at what they can do, but also it looks like it's because if they don't, they're just going to keep getting worse. I think teams are going to start getting better and Seattle is just going to stay the same and not really improve, even though they, they are a star team. It looks like they're just declining. And I mean, semifinals, they were down 2-1 and yeah, they, they narrowly won to go to the finals for sure. Mm-hmm. But then in the finals, it's just one game. You play terribly, understandable. It can happen in any game. But it looks like it's the end of, in the, the end of a dynasty, the end of the team that Seattle was. And it looks like they're going to have to make certain changes to stay at that level. I'm sure we'll make the changes. I just don't think it's that dramatic. Right? I think that's just a narrative we like to tell about stories. But the reality is this was just one game after it was a very good season for Seattle, right? If Seattle had finished seventh or eighth and then made it to the final by just winning the three playoff games, I'd agree. Like, you know what? And if they actually got a little bit lucky to make the playoffs at all, then had three good games. But they've had a good season overall. The players are still playing well. The team's playing well. They do have quality in the team. Yeah, it's getting older, and I'm sure we'll have to replace it and make those changes teams have to do. But the current squad is not the problem right now, right? Like, I would not say that making the final and losing, even if you had a terrible game in the final, suggests that that's the issue, right? But think about Liverpool. I'm going to call you out right now, Steph. Steph, get your notebook out. Get your notebook out. Are you ready to say that Seattle is going to make it to the finals next year? No, of course not. I mean, making the finals is super hard. I don't think it's definitely they will. I'm just saying they could. Like their team right now, like like I will guarantee you that the Seattle Times are going to be in the playoffs next season, and they'll try to make it again, and they might. It's very hard to make it to the to a playoff final, right? It doesn't happen all the time. Which why it's so impressive they did it twice in a row. But this team is capable of doing it, you know, if they play well in the playoffs, right? It's not a quality issue that they're having. But they got so many things going against them, Fortune. So many things. You know, forget forget the fact that they have an aging squad. Let's just talk about like overall burnout, right? That te- that successful teams have. Like when there is a decline, it's it's usually a very very obvious point that you can you can say like this was the game where you know the dynasty was over. And I really think this was the game where you say to Seattle like you know this is the game where you're no longer going to make the finals every year. It's our, I mean, it's our, you I mean know, look, look, you've, I, you've seen teams do this over and over again. You've seen big teams from, you know, from Real Madrid to Manchester United to AC Milan. And you can pinpoint the time of where you said, like, the reign of them, you know, repeating Champions League, the reign, you know, of, and, you know, for example, the, the Cavs when, when they got the band back together. You can pinpoint the time where, where like, successful teams burn out. Yeah, I'm just saying, I don't think that's right now for Seattle. Like, I don't think this one game showed they burned, they were burnt out. Like, when Real Madrid, you know, won their last championship, they did it, and it felt kind of lucky because they were terrible all season. Like, in a lot of different competitions, they finished, like, so many points behind La Liga. Like, you could tell they were burning out. Like, it was obvious from the state of the squad, it's a burnout season. When Manchester United had the last season with Alex and Alex Ferguson, you could tell the squad was being burnt out. Like, they struggled in the Champions League loss in the round of 16. were able to win the league. But you could tell this team is, you know, struggling there. I don't see that with Seattle, right? They haven't had a bad season. They don't know who they're burning out. They had a bad game. Or maybe two. They didn't do all that, that well against Minnesota. They got a bit yeah, I guess, there. I guess we're going to have to wait to next season to see how Seattle <laughs> do. Um, I guess we will. Because they, they definitely didn't have a bad season. But it just kind of yeah. shows <laughs> how, how it can dramatically drop.
Um, what, one thing I did want to talk about is kind of compare the MLS and what they do during the games to other leagues and how they run the games, you know? So like one thing that baffled me was home court advantage. What do you think? Do you think that there should have been a home court advantage? Cause if maybe they were playing in Seattle, maybe the result would have been different. Maybe Seattle wouldn't have played that badly. You know, so it, it I mean, kind of strikes me that they have a home court advantage. I, I understand if it's if it's basketball. Um, I mean, NFL doesn't even have that because it's only one game. So so should MLS do what the NFL does and have one court? Say at the beginning of the season, the final is going to be in this city. Um, for me, it's a little hard. I mean, I think I'm in favor of the neutral venue for a final. That, that, that kind of makes the most sense in general because then you have just the more accurate game. But the idea of having, you know, and this is for the whole playoffs, right? The best team in the in the regular season gets to be the home team for that playoff game between the, the two teams, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of encourages teams, even if say you've already qualified for the playoffs, you have two games left, you know there's a good reason to try and keep winning games. Right? It keeps things competitive. In the regular season, you think, if I get to the final, and if I win the next two games, then I actually have to be in, I, I get the home field advantage, right? And if you think about the difference, right, it was two points between Columbus this year um, and Seattle Sounders, right? They barely got the home field advantage. I mean, you, you guys were thinking that extra points or points they got was maybe key because they, they got to have fans around them. They got to play in the weather that they're used to. So it is an advantage. And I do like it in, in that sense, it keeps them competitive because the problem with playoffs has always been once you make the playoffs, won't you just start playing, you know, your B side, you know, your reserves, kind of rest your players. If you want to have competitive games, you have an advantage for continuing to play and keep winning. So well, I, yeah. I like that idea. I like what it adds to it. And I also like the yeah, idea of fans from the team being able to play. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a matter of keeping teams trying to be competitive once they've qualified in the playoffs. Um, you know, say it's it's been it's been that way, and I think it's it's a tried and true concept at this point. Uh, you know, you just know. I mean, teams tank. To, to get a better draft pick, right? So what's, what's <laughs> going to stop them from like just tanking when they're in the playoffs, you know, put their best players out. And at the end of the day, every sport, you know, yeah, it's entertainment, but it's a business too, right? So like we need, mm-hmm. we need people to keep showing up, keep watching the games, keep being interested in what's going on. And the only way that's going to happen is if you keep it, you know, if you keep some resemblance of any competitiveness throughout the season. And I think the way to do that, and I agree with Pocho, is just, Making sure there's always a chance to improve your seating in the playoffs, making sure there's always the chance of booting someone to a worse spot on the playoffs. So it's, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, Andrew, it's, it's a business. They need people to keep showing up. Uh, in terms of the venue at the, at the finals, I mean, I kind of like what, for example, the, the NFL does where like they, they, they picked one at the beginning of the season. That's, you know, the home would be the home mm-hmm. team. If, if like the home team makes the Super Bowl. Right. But then for everyone else, it's, it's, you know, it's a neutral site. Right. So, so, uh, you know, the home team, you know, quote unquote has the advantage, but they have a, you know, one in one in 16 chance of making it in their own division conference and then, you know, making it all the way to the Super Bowl. So like, I'm a big fan of that. I, I really don't like, I mean, for the NBA, of course, you know, different pace of play, different amount of games and different amount of days. I think what they've done as well for their sport, they've adapted to it is amazing. But yeah, I mean, if if they can have a neutral venue, if possible, it's, it's the best, I think. Or if they can 
say it at the beginning of the season, like, hey, the finals in Miami. So that way, like Miami, you know, Miami knows like, oh, shit, if we make it in the finals, like, you know, we're the home team. Basically. Yeah, which, right? is, which is what I'm trying to get at. They can have home court advantage. That's fine with me. I'm saying in the finals, um, it, it seemed for me, I guess, a little, I don't want to say unfair because it isn't really unfair. Um, but it's a little unfair. But it can it can <laughs> give it can give it a small advantage to the home team in a final. You know, you you want it to to bring both. You want there to be fans for both teams. And and if it if it comes to like you say, it's a business. Then and the final is in Minnesota and it's Miami against LA. Whatever, maybe they make a deal. Hey, you will pay for your ticket over there or whatever. They make a deal. You know, I don't know business logistics or whatever but, <laughs> but you, you, you see what i'm saying like they'll help the fans to be able to get to to minnesota right to, but someone's going to have the advantage season in season out right they're not going to play in uh, yeah they're not, not going to play a final neutral. in a non in a non-mls stadium so like a team <laughs> is going to have like the advantage coming in like you know if we make the finals we're going to be the home team right so one of right. the teams will always have the advantage and i'm fine with the team having the advantage right because first of all, it adds more pre- like you know, yeah, it's cool that you get to the final, but during the season, I imagine it adds more pressure to every single week to to that team, right? Because the fans are like, you know, we better make it to the finals because you know it's in our stadium. So like more <laughs> pressure on the team, more pressure on the players. So I don't think it's as easy as it sounds. Because in the NFL, I think it's rarely happened where like the hometown Super Bowl team makes the Super Bowl. Right, right? it's very unlikely. So like, yeah, I mean, what I also like about the idea of setting up uh, plays is that it makes it an event, right? Think about like, the Super Bowl, you know, like, okay, the Super Bowl in Miami, you know, that all, like, way ahead of time, you know, that's where the final is going to be. You're excited for it. It's an event. While instead, when you have to wait for both teams to get seated to know where the final is going to be, it makes it a little bit less, right? So I do think it'd be good to do that. Um, that being said, I'm not against what they do right now. I think it works well. And like I said, Columbus did better than Seattle in the regular season, so they do deserve some sort of benefit for that in the final, right? Like, they did do better. Like, when you consider that the MLS Cup is decided by the playoffs and not by a league season, well, the season itself should have an effect in the playoffs, right? Even if it's just the tiniest of advantages, it makes sense to me that it matters. I mean, if we're talking about regular season mattering, let's talk about why they don't have a relegation system. Because <laughs> there are teams that are terrible. We can talk about that for like hours. Yeah, it's, I mean, you could definitely have two leagues at the moment with 32 teams. Oh, you definitely. Know? You know, the reason they're not doing relegation is a money thing, right? Is that yeah. it oh, costs so much money to get a team in the first place, right? Like think about like, Austin FC, right? They're coming in next season. And they're probably going to be the worst team in the division straight away. Most new teams are. A couple of exceptions, but most, teams, most new teams are. Like Cincinnati, you know, they're going to be terrible. No, and what I if, like, you did that? You spent I all believe this Austin FC was going to win the final next season. Oh, my God. It's yeah, Cincinnati right was just awful. Very awful. Austin you know who was awful, too? The Galaxy. LA Galaxy were terrible oh, this year. They were so bad no, this but season. They're probably the richest team in the league. So, like, no, no they, they, they don't care. They, they might, they have the best squad probably named my name, or they should have the best squad named my name. Oh, and yeah, they just yeah. are not doing well. That being said, I'm excited to see how Atlanta did next season because they were terrible this year. But I think that was like a circumstantial thing, right? And Joseph Martinez was injured. injured right? So I'm thinking next season they'll probably come back and fight back because they were the example expansion team, right? A team that came in and instantly was competitive. Um, well, I don't think Austin's going to go there. 
True, true, like, true. They're like the by far the best coach, one of the best coaches that has ever coached in the MLS. MLS, yeah. <laughs> not that not that that's like a high bar, right? But like still, like it no, it I, truly shows. Like he came, he bought a couple key players. Again, they they had along with Barco, who is really really good. He he was mm-hmm. he used to be touted really highly in in the Argentine league, right? I mean, then, and then you have Joseph Martinez, who like. Well. You know, yeah, Almiron, right? And then Martinez, who, like, freaking got injured for, like, half the season. And the team's coach, I mean, right? Yeah, and they, they, I think they, they did really, really well, but it just kind of shows. It showed two things. Like, Pocho, you're right. It showed, like, the example of what, like, a new expansion team should do. But it also showed mm-hmm. how easy it is to dominate the MLS, right, if your owner owns Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> how that helps. No, I mean, because no, I'll be honest, yeah. LA Galaxy, they have because... the same resources not the same result, right? <laughs> not the same. Co- their coaches. I, I'm not a fan. Like, you know, what, what, whatever. I don't care all the big names. You know, they got the, the, the you know, they got the coach, and they, of course, they have. I, I think they have like every single Dos Santos brother. So like, they buy these big, not, big name players. You know, they got Chicharito. They, you know, they have, as I said, you know, probably the whole Dos Santos family at this point. And, <laughs> and you know. They are still so, so bad. Like, you watch them play and, like, you know, they, they don't play as a team. They, they, they're so bad when, they, when they're out on the field. And they're 100% doing it for marketing purposes, right? Like, why oh, would yeah. you buy, you know, Chicharito? Like, Chicharito, you know, he was a good striker. Like, give it, like, two or three years ago, he might have been someone where you say, like, yeah, he can get you a couple goals. Right now, he gets injured way too often to even be playing. So, you know, that's all I got to say on the LA Galaxy. You know, LAFC, you know, on the other hand, same scenario. They just buy the big names, you know. Whoever Carlos Vela was in Europe, like, nobody even remembers who he played for, right? Like, who cares, who cares about that? Dude? So, like... Hey, Real Sociedad yeah. are, like, fighting for La Liga right now. Give them yeah, the credit. They're not, yeah, not fighting it with Carlos Vela. With Carlos Vela. Yeah, they sold it. Vela was good. I mean, there was, there, he was good. Go. You can just take it. Bella you can just take it to, to slap him. If a player ends up it. in the MLS, I'm sorry. If a player ends up in the MLS, you, you know, when they're old, the only exception being Slatan, it's because they're way over, you know, whatever they were back in the day. No, no. But if they go to China. No, because, you, yeah. you know, China has more money. So, like, respect to them for going to China. But, exactly. like, you know, why are they going to the MLS? You know, they're not going to earn as much as they I think in MLS in the future. Is gonna. It's not not gonna be as good, obviously, as Europe. I mean, the, watching Latin America soccer games, they're never gonna be as good as as European soccer. But it is gonna be competitive for sure. I mean, like I think Vela is a good player. I mean, he obviously wasn't a world class player. I'm not even say that at all. Slatan is obviously a better player. Um, but Vela was a good player in Europe. He would score around like nine goals a season at La Sociedad. Which isn't great, but it's not bad for a player that would play sometimes up front, sometimes plays on the wing. It was decent. That's all I gotta say. Not, not for a player who, who like how many games did he play this? I think he played like let me let me let me look this up. I swear to God. Okay, <laughs> season, he, he played eight games this season for the MLS. Are you joking? Like that's not a guy that you rely on. That's 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 well, a I mean, market. This problem. season was the pandemic season. Now look at the season beforehand. He played thirty three games, scored thirty six goals, MLS record. Oh my god! Right, so he's, he's made still, eleven assists. Yeah, right? but like, did the LAFC do anything? You know, they have they won anything they, with him? Like you know, of course, you know, they wore supporter shield. I mean, like yeah, they lost in the playoffs, but they did win the supporter yeah, he, shield. He's, he's going to be miles ahead of any average MLS player. But he, he's, 
he's you know when he goes when he accepted that contract for LAFC, you're basically saying to yourself like I am not good enough to play in Europe now. Good day. See. Well, I, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think yes so. Yes and no. Yes and no. There's there's countless of, of players that have done that jump from European soccer to MLS, like Andrea Pirlo, eh, Kaká, yeah. all uh, tons of famous names. And, but I mean, yeah, but none of them were in the prime yeah, of the I, I don't understand what, you, what your hate with Vela is, though. Who, who's, yeah, I mean, Vela wasn't even that big of a player in Europe. And he comes no, to no, the MLS. Course. As Pocho says, you know, he, he dominates, he scores goals, he shows he's a better player than everyone else. But what does that say about the MLS itself, right? That an average player from Spain was able to come here and completely take over and, and, and you know, break records. Right, I mean, don't me wrong, but not every player that comes from Europe does that well either. I mean, Peter right, was an right. absolute failure when he came yeah, over, but, right? You know, every, Lamport every was a failure. Yeah, they're all uh, marketing uh, I agree, I agree. My point is, like, you got to give Vela credit for doing well in the MLS. Like, sure, it's not as hard as Europe, but he killed it in the MLS, right? He did better than Slatan. Well, because he Zlatan realized much earlier. Slatan was never going to Yeah, I mean, I mean, plus Vela was a lot younger than what most of the names we've mentioned have come over to the MLS. Like, what was he, like 20-something, 29, 28? He was, what, 29, I think, when he came yeah, out. Yeah, so, like, that's super young compared to, like, what Kaká, Pirlo, Slatan, Beckham, you know. True, did. I know, agree. It compares a lot more to what, like, you know, back in the day, Sebastian Jovinko did, right? When he was like, yeah. he was like, I'm tired of being a sub at Juventus. Let me go <laughs> Let me be the best player in the league. And, like, freaking dominate for, like, five years. Okay, so I'm and like, he was very tough. good. He was very and good. Sometimes, sometimes you got to do it. If you want to win, you got to do it. But uh, I'm excited to... Michael Bradley, though. Don't get me started on Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll end it there so that stuff doesn't go on another 20-minute rant about Michael Bradley. <laughs> Next week, Michael Bradley. <laughs> That'll be a whole uh, a bonus episode for anyone who wants to listen to stuff just right off the top. Michael Michael Bradley. But all right, well, uh, that'll that'll do it for this episode from the MLS. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm definitely excited to uh, to see what happens next. The next season is supposed to start in March. I mean, who's gonna get drafted Hopefully. first overall, guys? Who's the first overall? <laughs> I haven't even paid attention. That's always. <laughs> See, exactly. MLS is the one sport where that doesn't matter, right? Like, like that does not matter in MLS. Yeah, true. We just care about the games. That's it. That's all. That's all that's important. What draft? The players are signed. Soccer doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, I want to give thanks to everyone for listening to us, who supports us. I want to give thanks to Diego Contento, who helped us create the music. Isabel Ruiz, who helped us create the cover art. Fantastic artists, fantastic people. And I thank them so very much. Uh, thank you guys for joining me. And see you guys next time. See you.